As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on. Open them up to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Now, we're going to get there today to Galatians 3, but we're going to get there through kind of an intertestamental journey from Genesis all the way up there to that. Now, you're going to need to listen because I'm going to throw a lot at you today, but I'm going to, I, I hope that you'll see a little bit about how the work of God is intended to zoom out to all the nations and how what God does in your life is intended to connect your life to what He's doing around the world. I, I want to take a moment just to say how, how much I love being a part of Murphy Road. I, I love being your pastor, and I love being a part of this church. I could list you a hundred reasons why I love Murphy Road. I, I'm just going to list five of them today. The first reason is because, you know, I love the spirit that we have here. Uh, so many churches that I hear about, there's a lot of fighting, a lot of arguing that goes on, maybe a lot of distrust, but, but we really just have a, a good spirit in our church, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we enjoy coming here and that, that, that grace abounds within our church. Uh, secondly, I, I love the joy that we have. I love the fun and the laughter and the fact that we can just really enjoy living life together. Uh, life is hard. Life is busy. And it's important to have people that you can laugh with. It's important to be able to enjoy things like, uh, you remember the ugly sweater contest we did at Christmas and uh, the uh, Texas barbecue coming up? It's, it's important to do some of those things that just uh, show the joy that we have together. I, I love the fact, number three, that, that we do churchy things. Now that may sound a little bit odd to you, but uh, we do some radical things around here. We, we pray. We read the Bible. We, uh, we sing. We, we support our ministries through offerings. We, we uh, do mission work. I mean, these are radical things, I know, but, but we do churchy things, and we're not afraid to be a church. I, I try not to be critical of church in general that's out there, but it seems to me that there's a lot of... Uh, trying to cool people to Jesus, that we're going to be so cool that you're going to want to be a part of us because we're just so cool. And, and we kind of share the message of our coolness, uh, and we almost become Fonzie Church instead of actually just trying to go out and, and be a church and do, do the things that churches do. Uh, fourth, I, I love the fact that we love one another. And this is huge for me because I've seen us make some great strides in this regard I watch our life groups care about each other. I watch the families here when someone goes through grief or someone goes through a difficult time, and I see us caring for each other and trying to be there for each other. And I think that's what the church is supposed to be about, that we love one another. And then, and then fifth, I, I love the way that we're learning to go into our community and to make a difference just beyond this campus and beyond ourselves. I'm so thankful for Pastor Oscar and our Spanish Worship. I'm thankful for Pastor Benoy and the Asian Indian Church plant that we have going. I'm thankful that right now we have ministry going at Orchard Park and Oxford Glen as some of the leaders of our church are serving and leading worship in those senior communities where they can't get out and go to church. I'm thankful for ministries like Church Under the Tree and the various mission activities that we have. Right now, 
Samson Mall is building a church building, a new church building in India because of monies that were raised right here. And I'm, I'm thankful that, and I think we, we can continue to do more in this, but I'm thankful that we're learning to get beyond just ourselves and really think about how can we impact the community around us. You know, in Christianity, it's easy, easy to frame your Christianity in a small fashion. Because we're grateful for the cross, it's easy to begin to think about all the work of God as God did all this just for me, and it kind of terminates upon my life. And so Jesus is my Savior, and it's very, very personal and almost very, very small because that's the, the extent of our frame. And, and for others, uh, they, they may frame the work of God around our church, and they think, okay, I'm so thankful to be a part of this church and what God is doing here. And when we think about the work of God, we, we just think about our church. Uh, you know, whenever I, I first got an iPad, one of the things that I thought was so cool about it is the zoom out, zoom in feature. You know, you, you do your fingers like this, and it just zooms in, zooms out, and you know, I, I thought it was really cool. I've had to have two finger surgeries for that. But, you know, uh, you know, I thought it was just neat the way that it worked. And sometimes in, in Christianity, we need to zoom out. Okay, we have a picture up here of our church. There it is. There's our beloved church and our campus where we meet for worship. And sometimes we think this is what God is doing and this is where it's limited and this is our frame. But sometimes we need to zoom out and realize that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the ultimate zoom out. And Jesus wanted us to think beyond ourselves. Jesus wanted us to be a part of what he was doing globally. Now, throughout the Bible, in the big story of God, there are these times where God zoomed in on individuals, and then there were times where God zoomed out. This activity begins all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Who did God zoom in on? in the Garden of Eden, a couple by the name of Adam and Eve. And God began the story with one man, one woman. He united them in marriage. And from that marriage, there began to be a zooming out. From the distinction of their marriage became the multiplying. They began to have children, and the work of God began to fill the earth. Now, we also know that Adam and Eve both had what's called the fall, And from the fall, sin began to saturate the earth, and every person that's ever been born also had sin that began to take root in their heart in rebellion to God. Well, as you continue reading the story of the Bible, you come to Genesis chapter 9, and you see God display his capabilities when he decides, I'm going to start over. But then again, you see God zoom in. He zooms in on one man and his family. I sometimes call him Adam 2.0, a man that we call Noah. And he says to Noah and his family, I'm going to start over with you. But he also gives Noah and his family instructions that they are to zoom out. They are to inhabit the land and they are to be fruitful and multiply. And so they do a good job of that. And the population begins to grow. And then we come to Genesis chapter 12. And once again, the work of God begins to zoom in on one man, a man by the name of Abram. Now, Abram's a very significant figure in history because from Abram comes a lot of the world's theologies. Well, in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2, God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. 
I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So here God's plan zooms in on this man named Abram, and he tells Abram that I intend, my intention, God says, is that what I'm doing in your life will zoom out from there. And so you see, God says to Abram, I'm going to bless you. Your name is going to be great. From you, there will be a great nation established. And from that nation and from you, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now think about this. God comes to you and makes you a promise that he's going to bless you. And that blessing is going to be so significant that it's ultimately going to impact all peoples on earth. In Genesis chapter 17, God comes to this man Abram, and he says, I'm going to give you a name change. Your name is now going to be Abraham, because Abraham means father of many nations. In other words, God was saying that from you, I want to zoom out and do a work into all the world. Well, in Exodus chapter 20, Moses, the great liberator of people, is called into a private meeting on Mount Sinai, a private meeting between Moses and God. And there on Mount Sinai, God zooms in on Moses, and he establishes a covenant. And that covenant would be between God and Israel, and Moses would be their initial leader. And so from that Sinai moment, you see God beginning to work with the nation of Israel. We see God's activity and God's choices with Israel outlined in the New Testament in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. And we see God choosing people for great roles within his story. We see that God leads Israel into the promised land. And we see that God raises up a great leader in Joshua to lead them to take over the land. And then you have the prophets, people like Elijah and Elisha and Samuel. And they prophesy and do great works in the name of God. And then you have the age of the kings. You have the Shaquille O'Neal of the Old Testament, the tall man, King Saul, who is the first king of Israel. And God uses Saul and at times comes upon Saul. And yet we also see that Saul was a man who struggled. He would walk with God for a season and then follow his own way. And so we see the turmoil of his life. And then you see the great king David, that young man at first. He was a shepherd boy who stared the foul breathed Goliath in the eye and took that guy down. And from David, from David's life, he grows and he matures and he becomes the greatest king that Israel ever had. And during his reign, Israel's wealth and power and its name is great among all the nations. And then David is followed by his son, a man by the name of Solomon. Other than, other than Jesus, no wiser man has ever lived than Solomon. He wrote much of the Proverbs. He wrote Ecclesiastes, you read the writings of Solomon, you're like, wow, this guy's deep. I mean, he really had an incredible wisdom about him. And yet, with David and Solomon and Saul, all three of these men, you see the realness of them because they all struggle to truly follow God in their lives. And as you're reading these books of the Old Testament, the focus is so zoomed in on Israel that you might conclude that the Bible is a book about God and Israel. 
But in fact, the Bible is a book about God and his creation. And so the story begins to expand again. There is a great fall of the nation. Israel divides into two kingdoms. And then those kingdoms are ultimately dispersed into the world around them, what we call the Gentile world. And so this focus that had been zoomed in is once again zoomed out. And now God's people are living amongst the nations. And it is from there that we have some of the greatest stories of all the Bible. We have the stories of Daniel, a man that God used to change the hearts of two emperors. God used that man and his life and his testimony to impact kingdoms. We see a great woman of courage, a lady by the name of Esther, that God uses her courage to save her people from the brink of mass genocide. We see a man by the name of Isaiah that prophesies about the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus. And we see Jeremiah who tells us what it's going to look like when the Holy Spirit comes and brings a a new heart and forgiveness of sins. And we see in those stories examples of godly people living in ungodly environments. If you're within the Christian community these days, you can't help but notice that there is a lot of whining that goes on within the Christian community. We whine about the ungodly state of affairs in people's lives around us, and we begin to despair and think, what can God do in the face of all this ungodliness that is in society today? And yet, as you read the Bible, you see examples of how God placed his children into ungodly environments, and they followed God, even though others denied God, they followed him, and through their obedience and through their faith, God used their lives to make a difference in the world in which they lived. The key to living in ungodliness is to gaze upon your God and glance at your problems. And Christians are going to have to learn, how do you follow God even in a world where there's a lot of people that deny God. Well, the story continues, and we see that the story of Scripture once again zooms in on a man by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is used by God to bring Israel back to Jerusalem, and they rebuild the walls, and then the temple is rebuilt, and there is once again the nation of Israel living in the promised land, and they move into the Roman era, which was a very, very difficult time for Israel, and then in the New Testament, about five miles outside of Jerusalem in a one-camel dusty town known as Bethlehem, a little spot on the map, a great thing takes place. Jesus is born. And during the life of Jesus, the story is pretty zoomed in. Throughout the Gospels, do you realize that the entire life of Jesus takes place within about a hundred mile radius? And at Calvary, the camera of eternity is tightly zoomed. Because there the scriptures teach us that one man died for all. That one man took on the sin of all. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 describes it this way. The just man died for the unjust. And there was a reason for his death so that he might bring us to God. As Jesus was dying on the cross, he yells out these words, My God, my God, finish it with me. Why? 
have you forsaken me? Did you know that that's actually a quote of Psalm 22 and verse 1? Where centuries before the birth of Christ, David had prophesied in what's called a messianic psalm about the Messiah. And he had envisioned the way in which the Messiah would suffer. And as Jesus was dying on the cross, he connects his death to that psalm. And he reminds those that are around the cross of that psalm in which David began with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in verse 27 of that same psalm, the psalmist writes, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. From the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is this massive zooming out of the story. What happened at the tomb was not supposed to be contained. It was to go to all nations. In Matthew 28 and verse 18, Jesus gathers his disciples around him, and he gives them what is called the Great Commission. The Bible says that he came to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, how did he get that authority? By overcoming sinful life and by overcoming death. And so then he tells his disciples, go. You go under my authority. And and as you go, as you live life, go and make disciples. And where are we to make disciples? Of all nations. And we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Whenever we baptize them, We bring them into the local community of the church. And then together, we teach one another to observe everything that Christ has taught us. And then he tells us, don't forget this. Remember, I am with you. I'm not going to leave you. I am with you always to the end of the age. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells the disciples, I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And all these things I've called you to do, and all, this thing, all these things I've talked about, this is how you should be, you're going to find your way through the Holy Spirit and His power and His guidance. And so He tells the disciples, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And then, you're going to be my witnesses. Where are we to be the witnesses? There's this zooming out occurrence here. You're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then all Judea, and then you're supposed to start crossing cultures and be my witnesses in Samaria and then you're supposed to cross geography and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth in Acts chapter 2 we have a multinational gathering people from all nations converge upon Jerusalem as they come to celebrate the Passover and this man Peter begins to preach. Now, you'll remember Peter, just a couple of months earlier, he had denied that he even knew Jesus. He was at his lowest point in life. And now, Peter stands to preach before the great crowd. And as Peter begins to preach, a miracle takes place. The Bible says that Peter spoke in his language, and everybody in the audience that had come from around the world, everybody heard what Peter was saying 
in their own language. Now, why did God do this? Well, because what happened there at the resurrection was not to be contained to just one people group, but what happened there at the resurrection was to be taken into all places in all languages because Jesus didn't just die for one group of people. Jesus died for you and for me, and he died for the people that live around us and the people that live in the neighboring countries. And so Jesus said, God said, all people are going to hear the gospel. At the end of Peter's sermon, the Bible says they were cut to the heart, and 3,000 people came to Christ that day. In Acts chapter 9, there was this man named Saul of Tarsus. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he had found his big moment. He could become the dominant voice in Judaism. He could rise perhaps even to the level of the chief priest because if he was able to eradicate Christianity, everybody would begin to follow him and listen to him. And so that was his life's mission and then the God of the universe intervened and God revealed himself to Paul Saul I should say and Saul had a conversion of the heart and when Saul met Jesus everything changed his name changed to the apostle Paul and instead of trying to rid the world of Christianity he began spreading Christianity to all the world. He becomes the greatest missionary perhaps to ever have lived. And he takes the gospel of Jesus Christ beyond Judaism. He takes the gospel of Jesus Christ into what is called the Gentile world. In Acts chapter 10, the very next chapter, we once again come to the apostle Peter. Now when Jesus met Peter, he was called Simon. And Simon has to do with the idea of one who blows in the wind or who vacillates, an erratic individual. And Jesus looked at Simon and said, Ah, Simon, I'm going to call you Cephas, which means stone, translated into Greek as Petra or Peter. I'm going to turn you into a rock of a man. Yet Peter still struggled. And one of the things that Peter struggled with is he had been raised to be prejudiced. He had been raised to think that God only loved his people and that the work of God was very isolated to his people. And so it's, it's kind of ironic in the story of Peter that this man who struggled with uh, racism, with prejudice, that God used him to preach the sermon where all nations heard. It's interesting that this man who struggled with prejudice that in Acts chapter 10, God appears to him and says, you know what, Peter, I am calling you to go eat some pork chops and to share the gospel with a Roman centurion. Okay, the very people that crucified Jesus, the ones that you despise so much, I'm calling you to go share the message of Christ with them. And suddenly, the story of the New Testament is zooming out all over the known world. And then we arrive at the book that I asked you to turn to about 25 minutes ago. We arrive at Galatians. And there in Galatians, God had done a great work. A lot of people had turned their hearts towards God. And then this motley group of troublemakers came to see these young Christians from the city of Jerusalem. You see, throughout church history, 
as the work of God begins to expand and people truly begin to get it and the light bulb comes on and we realize that God's work in my life is intended for my life to be connected to something bigger than just me, there will always be people that want to contain the work of God so that they can control it. And there will always be people that want to take you from grace and move you back into law. And there's always going to want to be people that are going to want to take away your freedom that you have in Christ and once again bind you to a legalistic, rule-based, behavioral-oriented faith. And that's what happened in Galatia. This group of people came to these young Christians and they began to harass them. Not only did they harass these young Christians, but they began to harass Peter and Paul and Barnabas and they tried to zoom things all the way back to Moses and here's what they told these young Christians. It's really good that you embrace Jesus. Let me pat you on the head. But you need to embrace Jesus and you also need to attach yourself to the Old Testament law. And if you attach yourself to Jesus and you follow the law, then you will have salvation. Well, Paul gets wind of this. And there is never a place in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul is more red-faced and furious than whenever he is writing in Galatians chapters 1 and 2. You ought to read it sometime. I mean, he gets up in their grill. I can't believe that you would abandon the gospel for this. And Paul reminds them that the whole message of the resurrection was intended to be a zoom out. He says in verse 8 of chapter 3, Now the scriptures saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And he told the good news ahead of time to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed through you. You say, Lash, why have you taken me through this whole journey of Scripture today? I mean, you've said a lot of words in this sermon. Why are you saying all this? Well, Galatians attaches what God was doing here all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 when God came to Abraham and he says all nations are going to be blessed through you. What God said to Abraham was no accident. What happened in Galatia was no accident. The resurrection was no accident. This was all part of the plan of God. And in verse 9, Paul writes, So that those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. The very blessings that God gave to Abraham, those who have faith, just like Abraham, those who have faith in God and faith in Christ, they receive the blessings of Abraham in their own life, and they also, too, experience the salvation of God for his people. And so Paul wants to remind the Gentile believers that they are no afterthought in the plan of God, that the Scriptures saw them in advance. And then he zooms in on two truths in verse 13. He zooms in on the cross and he says, Christ has redeemed us. He died on the cross so that we might be redeemed. He took on the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. And he zooms in on that event and he reminds us that we have been redeemed by Christ. In verse 14, he zooms in on our salvation. He says the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus 
so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. You see, Christ died on the cross so that the blessings that God had established all the way back in Genesis could come to you. And the way that the blessings of God come to you and come to me is through Christ Jesus. And when we embrace Him as our Lord and Savior, we also receive the promised Spirit as we walk with God in faith. And so I ask you this question this morning. Has there ever been a time in your life when the grace of God zoomed in on you? Has there ever been that moment where God grabbed a hold of your heart and the great creator of the universe zoomed in his attention upon your life? My father likes to tell the story of how the grace of God zoomed in on him and how he became a Christian. My dad grew up in poverty. He also grew up in an abusive situation. As a young boy, his father was an alcoholic. We're thankful that later in life, my grandfather changed his ways whenever he became a follower of Christ. But as a little boy, this was my dad's prayer. God, help me to be big enough and strong enough to beat up my dad so that he won't hurt my mom. That was the environment that my dad grew up in. At one point, my grandfather had two families going at the same time. He wasn't a polygamist. They didn't know about each other. But then he divorced my grandmother and married the other lady. And so in that day and time, there was an incredible stigma that went with that. And that's how my dad grew up. When he was 13, he had a tragic accident. He got in the back of a car with his brother, and they started racing. And as they were going up this hill, they tried to pass the people. They were racing only to encounter another car coming the opposite way at the top of the hill. They were going almost 100 miles per hour whenever they collided. And My dad regained consciousness and remembers being at the hospital and he saw his brother being wheeled in and they had a sheet over his brother's head. My dad, the closest person on the planet to my father at that time was my Uncle Junior. And dad thought he had died. Turned out he'd, he'd be okay. But it was at that point that the grace of God really began to zoom in on my father. And he realized that he needed a Savior. He was a little stubborn. Maybe that's where I get it. He's a little stubborn. He thought, you know, I'm going to be saved. I'm going to give my life to Jesus, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until I hear a really good sermon. And so a few months went by. 1952. My dad goes to a church service at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas. There's this young evangelist there that had kind of been making a name for himself, some guy named Billy Graham, who begins preaching. And when my dad, a 13-year-old boy, hears that sermon, he's like, that's the sermon I've been waiting for, okay? This guy's good. He's going somewhere. And so at the invitation, my dad walks the aisle, and there in the dugout of the Cotton Bowl, he gives his heart to Christ. And the grace of God zoomed in on him, and he became a believer. If the grace of God is zooming in on you today for the first time, and you find your heart being stirred, and you're realizing your need of salvation, here's what you need to do. You need to cry out to God and admit your sin. Admit that you are a sinner, that you've rebelled from God, and you're in need of His forgiveness. You need to place your faith in Jesus Christ 
as your Lord and Savior, believing that He died on the cross for your sins and overcame death so that you might have forgiveness and life in Him. And you need to commit your life to following Him from this day forward. We call that getting saved. That moment when the grace of God zooms in on you and you realize that the work of Scripture is also for you and you become a follower of Christ. If you get saved today, today's the day that you're calling out to Christ. I want to know about it. So I would invite you to tell me. I would invite you to tell people in your life that you know walk with God because we want to encourage you and we want to help you and maybe you still have questions and we want to help you work through those questions. I am cognizant of the fact that the majority of you here today have already had your moment where you were, became a Christian. And so here's the heart of what I want you to take away today. I want you to understand that when the grace of God zooms in on your life, God's grace is never intended to merely terminate upon you. God does not extend His goodness and His love and His graciousness to merely end with you, but instead He zooms in on your life so that your life can then in turn zoom out into the world around you. God blesses you to be a blessing. God saves you for your life to be a part of what He is doing around the world. God does not want His goodness merely to end at you. But you can be a conduit through which the goodness of God is expanded to others. And so sometimes we need to paint with a bigger frame. Sometimes we need to zoom out our vision and understand that God can use our life in ways that we can never imagine. You say, Lash, I'm just a simple guy. How am I going to do that? Well, live in the Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit. And God will lead you. He'll use you. Live your life with joy. Don't be that toxic Christian. Don't let sarcasm and cynicism and hatred just drip from your tongue all the time. But live your life with a joy because you're forgiven. You have purpose. You have hope. There is living water flowing through you. So have your Christianity become contagious. Become a part of the church and make church something more than just an event that you attend. But be a part of the life that is taking place here where we gather for worship and we open the Word of God and we try to grow and we try to serve others together. Love one another. Get involved in people's life. Walk through life with people that you love. And love your community. Realize that God has put you where you are, that it's no accident where you live, where your kids go to school. It's no accident who you're married to and your family is designed by God, whether it's a family of one or a family of ten. It's no accident that God has put you together. So love your community and be a part of what God is doing. There are three prayers that I pray virtually every night for my children And I pray them for our church as well. That we will love God. That we will truly love God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul. That we will learn to love one another. That we'll care about each other and be there for each other. And that we'll learn to love others. And allow our life to be a part of what God is doing. Go out from here and be like Christ. 
wherever it is, whether it's at work, in the classroom, at the baseball field, walking the dog around the block, wherever you go, try to be like Christ, and you'll be amazed how God can take your life, and He can zoom out, and He can do work through you that you never imagined. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? The band's going to come, and they're going to lead us in singing. And during this time, you may feel the need to pray. Perhaps you need to just gather your thoughts. Perhaps you would like to sing with the band. If there's anything that I may pray with you about, I'll be here at the front. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you zoomed in on us through your grace. We thank you that there is forgiveness and salvation and hope in you. And we pray, Father, that we will never think in a selfish fashion, but may we learn to live with selflessness as we attach our lives in humility to the work of the cross, which was no doubt the greatest act of humility humankind has ever experienced. Lord, help us to pour contempt on our pride, to lean upon you, to find strength from you. And I pray, Lord, that you might use our one and only lives to make a difference for you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.